like at the end of the day, you you need to be a little bit confrontational because that's where the interesting conversations are going to happen. Yeah. Right. But I am trying to like start the conversation about how the industry is like systematically sexist. My name's Katie and I'm a cook. I've cooked in all kinds of kitchens over the last six years, but three years ago, my husband Ricardo and I decided to move to the San Francisco Bay Area. I went to culinary school at the International Culinary Center and worked as a chef de partie at a couple Michelin-starred restaurants, including Plume Horse and Manresa, a three Michelin-starred place. I had a lot of time to think when I was working in the kitchen. I would be cleaning herbs and cutting fancy shapes out of vegetables, and I blame my anthropology degree for this, but I'd be thinking about all the interactions going on around me. More and more, there were things that I couldn't stop thinking about. And in an already stressful environment, I was overthinking a lot of the social aspects of the kitchen. At the top of my overthinking list was being a woman in a space that was dominated by men. Why do you think there aren't more women in the kitchen? Have you ever been called out for being girly? Is there a pressure to be more tough? Do you think that the culture in the kitchen needs to change? Naturally, Ricardo and I would talk about it. A lot. I do think that it's kind of a show about why you just spent three quarters of that description apologizing to men. That's Ricardo right after I read him my first draft ever of the description for this podcast. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it. But it is ridiculous that I have to think about it so hard. And, like, apologize for calling them sexist. By talking with Ricardo, I started to think that this conversation shouldn't just be between the two of us. I should be having it with my friends and others in the industry. And maybe we could expand that conversation. With a podcast. This is Copper and Heat, a podcast exploring the unspoken rules and traditions of the kitchen. I'm Katie Osuna. You're listening to Be A Girl, our first season, all about women in fine dining kitchens. Episode 1, Brigade. When I started working in kitchens, I noticed pretty quickly that I was one of the only, if not the only woman. And that's very typical in the restaurant industry. Women make up about half of all food service workers. This includes front of house like waiters and bartenders and the back of the house in the kitchen. Women also make up a little over 50% of students graduating culinary schools. In just the back of the house, there are somewhere between 30 and 50%. However, As we move up the ranks, 27% of line cooks, 19% of chefs, and 7% of head chefs are ladies. These numbers don't take into account the number of women that are in pastry versus the savory side of the kitchen, with pastry being predominantly women. They also don't differentiate between fine dining, which we're going to be focusing on in this season, and the rest of the restaurant industry. When I started doing research on this, it consumed my thoughts. While I was peeling asparagus, while I was frying potatoes, while I was searing scallops, I started paying more attention to what was going on around me. 
And there were so many things that I wanted to ask my coworkers about and to really understand. The woman's place is in the kitchen at home. The meals are supposed to be the ones that cook professionally, which I don't, I don't understand that at all. You've given your life to this culture, and like when you get older, when you're like 27, 28, you want to have a family. Like, what do you do? You're going to hear conversations with some of my family, friends, coworkers, and even my boss about what it's like for women in the kitchen. We have to have some sort of semblance of like nitty gritty to us if we're willing to put up with all of this. Don't treat us like we're fragile. We're not. <laughs> You're right, no one talks about it necessarily. And then currently I'm thinking like, what am I going to say that's going to just sound terrible, <laughs> but not trying to sound terrible. And I don't think I'm succeeding. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. But that's the problem. Like, nobody right. talks about this right. and then nobody like, has a conversation. So I'm about to take you inside the kitchen and inside the head of a cook working in fine dining. And you're going to hear from a lot of different people. I'm going to be talking with the people who are working every day in kitchens, making the vision of the executive chef or chef owner come true. A quick disclaimer. This season is from my perspective as a white, middle-class, cisgendered woman. These are my experiences and conversations with people I have met in my job so far. Is cursing allowed? This is allowed, right? Right, I'm not going to censor myself for this. There's definitely going to be some cursing, and we're going to talk about topics that might not be safe for work. Just a heads up. Sorry, but that's just the way kitchens are. And actually, we're going to start with that idea. That's just the way it is. This is so unspoken, and yeah, it's it's rare that you like, it's candid. I mean, it's like you have like these straight up talks about, it's just like weird to get it out. It's worked for a million years. Why Why are we changing it? Kitchen culture is built on these unspoken rules and traditions that have been around for generations. And to even start to understand the people that work in kitchens, we have to go back to where all of this started and the stage on which it plays out. The brigade system. If you're thinking, brigade, that sounds like military. You'd be right. It's a long story, but here's the short version. Like almost everything in modern fine dining, it all starts in France where the private aristocratic chefs coming out of the French Revolution were trying to figure out what to do next, as their previous customers were, well, knocked down a few pegs. Chefs were no longer just for the ultra-wealthy. They were trying to bring high-class food to more people than before, and they needed a system. In comes Auguste Escoffier, former military guy turned chef, who lived and worked in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He decides the division of labor and rigid hierarchy of the military is a great way to organize cooks. Fast forward about 150 years, and here we are, with a modern brigade looking something like this. You have what are called stations. Your garment jays. Entremet cook. Fish veg. Saute station. Pastry department. Meat veg. Grill cook. The meat station. Your fish cook. A saucier station. And there's one person in charge of each of those stations. And they're called a... Chef de partie. Chef de partie. Chef de partie. Be responsible for organizing things and prepping food for that station. Depending on the size of a kitchen, a chef de partie will be in charge of a few other cooks. Third cook, second cook, first cook, being kind of your top tier. When you start in a kitchen, you usually start on 
one. The amuse station, which is like the first few bites that you get out of the kitchen. And then you work your way up to. Generally, it's like a vegetable-based station. Garmage or pantry. We work on cold salads. Usually specializes in the preparation of vegetables. The little like baby bird station. Once you prove yourself. Perfecting everything that you can learn. Perfect what you're doing there. Master that and then you can move on to another station. You can make your way up to. A protein station, whether it be fish or meat. If you're on meat, a lot of times you're responsible for. Cooking the meat. Garnish or mise en place for that station. The fish cook who portions in. And there's all the shellfish. What every cook wants to strive to kind of climb and get to is the belly of the beast, the hotline. Once you work your way through all the stations, prove yourself worthy. You become Junior Sue. Junior Sous Chef, which you then are looking at the kitchen or part of the kitchen. Then Sous Chef. Sue. The general job of the Sous Chef is to kind of bridge the gap between what a chef would want and what wine cooks are supposed to achieve. I'm on the computer for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, and then afterwards, you know, I'll circle around and ask all of the cooks what they may need for service, if they need any help, any like concerns or questions about anything. At that point, you've seen all the food. You should start to think about kind of developing your creativity. Next step up. On one hand, the pastry chef, or on the other hand, you have the chef de cuisine. Chef de cuisine. And the chef de cuisine. And they are the people who are totally responsible for everything that happens. Changing the menu, coming up with dishes, long-term projects. And finally, you become the chef. Executive chef. Chef. Executive chef or chef owner. An executive chef or a chef owner. Like countless cooks and chefs before me, my fine dining experience started as a stagiaire or stage. Lowest level of a kitchen is the stage. This is Mitch. He was my CDC at Manresa. So someone who is there working for free or nearly for free, you know, like you at Manresa, you came in and you worked for, you know, three months and we were able to see the way that you worked and was able to see the way that you reacted to different situations that came up when things were hard. So they get, you know, delegated all the really menial tasks. As a stage, you're in the kitchen to do the shit work. It's all about trying to prove that you belong there. I spent my first few weeks plucking feathers from ducks, deep cleaning the dry storage area, and scrubbing all the copper pots twice a week with my fellow stages. Having never worked in a kitchen like this, I had no idea what to expect. Everybody was just so intense and focused. Everything is done in a very specific way. Labeling tape is never torn. It's always cut. Don't put metal containers on the stainless steel countertops. Scrub the copper pots in these specific stages so there aren't any spots. And I never knew there was a proper way to wrap things in plastic wrap until I started working in kitchens. I was so nervous, I just called everyone chef because I didn't know how I was supposed to act or who I was supposed to show the proper respect to. Until a few of the chef de parties told me to stop calling them chef. When I started, there were two other stages that had been around for a few weeks already. So they tried to help me out. In my third week, the chef de partie of the fish veg or fish entremet station was going to be out of town. So they picked me to learn part of the station to help the sous chef. So now I had less of the shit work to do and I was actually helping on a station. Instead of hiding in the back of the kitchen during service doing cleaning projects, I was actually on the line. And I was in charge of all the prep for one of the first dishes under the guidance of the chef de partie and sous chef, which was super great that I had more responsibility. 
But then one night after service, the three of us stages were walking back to our cars and they were just asking me, how the hell did that happen? Questioning me all about working on the line, wondering how I'd done it. They wanted to know how this girl who had been there less time had moved up faster, which was an awkward position to be in. I didn't know why they picked me at the time. I was just trying not to mess anything up. But it was obvious that even though they were laughing and joking around, there was a little bit of resentment about the fact that I was picked to move up. Over the next two months, I worked my ass off. As a stage, you're still at the bottom of the barrel. Most people are respectful and understand the fact that you're working there for free to learn, so they take the extra time to teach you. Others, maybe with the more old school mindset, like to make your life difficult just for the sake of it. The whole time, my only goal was to prove myself enough that they would hire me. And they did. When I got moved up to Chef de Partie, the defining moment of knowing I'd made it was when I got my gray service apron. Everyone, chefs, chef de parties, and stages wear these white butcher's aprons during prep. But when service comes around, all the chef de parties suit up with these nicer gray aprons. It's what distinguishes you as an actual employee. That moment was glorious. But then I realized, shit, I'm on my own now. I'm in charge of this little area of the kitchen. If I fuck up, it is all on me. And there are so many things you can fuck up in a day. Every day is a different day. My typical day looks like coming in, setting up the whole kitchen. We get in a little bit before 12 and then get dressed, like get ready so I can start my day efficiently. Typically, when I get into the kitchen in the morning, I'll pop in the office. Coming in and, you know, setting up your station and... Bring a cutting board out. Set up my station, my towels, like just hone my knife. Get my station set up, all ready to go. And then kind of situate my station and the needs for my cooks for the day. You only, pretty much only have like three hours to prep everything. You need to be really organized and have a clear idea of what you're going to do task after task. I have my prep list written from the night before, so I like know I'm ready to go in the morning when I get there. Notepads with, you know, crap scribbled on it of their list of things that they need to get done. Or Pull all the ingredients I need out, like all my vegetables or whatever I need. Grabbing everything in one go rather than going back to the walk-in, you know, like five times, you just go once and have it all. And then I start slaving away. <laughs> Starting to mise out um, tons of stuff for different sauces that are gonna be made that day. You need to make the potato pave. The cream takes a while. Like you need to infuse the cream with the aromatics before you can do anything else. So that needs to get going right away. The process that I have to start right when I walk in from roasting the bones and toasting squid and getting my prawns ready, uh, and then it cooks all day. Clean any sort of vegetable or puree. A little bit of everything, fiddling around R&D most of the time for me, which is great. My staff's pretty self-sufficient, so it gives me a lot of time to do R&D and kind of play around. I'll circle around and ask all of the cooks, you know, what they may need for service, if they need any help, any like concerns or questions about anything. Tons of little sauces that I just like fit in. And once those are done, you can get the rest of the things for the pave because the cream is about to be ready, you know, and put it all together. So you need to like be really efficient about how you go about doing your day-to-day -day things. And once you've done your music plots for that day, so we break down and then bring down the station. It takes a while to set up. You have things like portioning your meats. That's when I finish most of my sauces. 
make sure that they're all completely seasoned correctly. Putting every tray, and you know methodically where they are, because you've done this over and over again. You're like, you never have to stop and think. Everyone goes to family meal, and then as soon as it's back, it's like kind of hit the ground and run. Like, it's just stressful, that time before service, where everything has to be ready. You can't not be ready before service. What the flow of service looks like. Chaos. <laughs> Controlled chaos. Service is always a shit show. It always fucking sucks. Ticket comes in, you know, order in two, and everyone the whole kitchen calls back. When the ticket comes in, it affects each station in different ways. But when a ticket comes in, everybody gets an amuse. You know, little bites start going out to get you excited for the meal. After the amuse is cleared, we go ahead and drop their first course. And that's where tickets start getting fired and times start getting called out and you have to be coming up at the right time, not too early, not too late. We're fired on something and I make sure that I have the puree that goes on the plate first. I make sure that that's hot. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of shouting. We're all yelling at each other. <laughs> well, the person next to me who is the fish cook makes sure that whatever protein goes on that dish is, is cooked properly. You can't, you know, overcook a beef and still put it up because you'll get it thrown back at you. The plates are like getting hot and then like a minute before we're supposed to have it up, we pull the plates down, wipe them, put the puree down, put the protein down, put the other veg down, whatever it is. Anybody messes up any timing, it can take a huge effect on the rest of the team. And then we put it at the pass. All the people have been together at the right time and it goes to the diner. Hot, perfect, beautiful, like to uh, have the best experience Everything that you can. Everything has to be so precise and so ready at every single time. But while you're doing all these things, you have to also be super clean. And that happens over and over and over and over again. Your to be clean, your low boy door needs to get wiped down. A thousand times or whatever. Like. Your flat top needs to get scrubbed. You need to do all these things. You're all in a bubble and you're just doing kind of your repetitious duty. And because again, everything likes to get fired at once. So try not to get lost in the mix of things. And, and just you're supposed to make it look like it's easy. Which also sucks. Wait until you get your last It's not. Take a step back and breathe, and you're like, okay, cool, we got through it, we're done, and we're gonna do it again tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and then around, usually around nine or so, it, start, it pretty much starts to empty out. Then I'll make sure everything's tight in the back from dry storage to typing up recipes and taking care of the walk in. We break down, and that involves like scrubbing, uh, like deep scrubbing everything. Clean hoods. And make sure everything's wrapped well. Making sure your like, low boy is super organized with your, everything has like a label. Um, you know, top stock, or top stock everything, wrap everything, organize it. You know, scratch stainless steel surfaces and anywhere between midnight, one, two in the morning, you go home. All these moments in a day add up and it's up to me to make sure they're under control, under my control. Everything has to be perfect. Absolutely perfect. You have to be clean, organized, efficient, fast, precise, meticulous, pristine. Everything. But I finally started to figure it out. I got told off less and less each day. I took control of my station. And I moved up. For a lot of like misfit guys that never felt maybe respected or in like whatever, I think it's a thing that they can feel really proud of. That's my brother Dylan. 
I talked to him a lot throughout the season because somehow we both ended up being cooks. Though, as my dad says, we took two very different paths. Dylan didn't like school. He started college but didn't really know what he wanted to do. He'd always cooked, so he ended up traveling around and cooking in restaurants across the country. Those are the people that are often drawn to this industry. People always say, like, chefs are kind of like the rejects to life. I didn't have very good grades, and I wasn't very smart or good at school. This kind of like, you know, like chefs have this reputation of being like like pirates or whatever they want to say. You can be tattooed and kind of fucked up, but if you can cook, you can work in a kitchen. Which I think is kind of hilarious. Here's this group of people who don't like the rigidity and rules of school, who didn't stick with the program. They're rebels. And they ended up in a profession with more structure and, honestly, more people telling you what to do. Hi, my name is Christopher Hamilton Lord. I'm a chef de party. Currently, I work the meat station. Here's Christopher. You don't talk back to this person because he's a sous chef or whatever. And if you do talk to that person, then you need to have a good reason for it. Otherwise, you're overstepping your position, I guess. You have, like, assholes that you work with, and just because they hold some sous chef status, they're allowed to, like, trot around and, like, talk shit to you the way they want. Someone's painting whoever's at the top who thinks that they know what's best, and sometimes there's still this, like, irrational anger towards the people under you. And I will say that the majority of the women I worked with, they were less willing to take the horrible criticism that made no sense and didn't provide them anything and didn't provide the restaurant anything and it was just totally biased and that's you know as as cooks we get that a ton yeah the women i've worked with have generally just cared more about everyone they work with and it eventually becomes a sticking point with the, the boss whoever the boss is and they're not willing to implement this thing that I want to do, or they're not willing to do, or, you know, demand this thing that I want. And eventually they get pushed to the back burner. And then nobody likes to be on the back burner. They, you know, whoever's on the back burner is eventually going to quit. I think there's something about the brigade system that is different than school. It's seen as a meritocracy. If you just work your ass off, prove yourself, Prove that you're strong enough. You can start as a dishwasher and work your way up. Plumed horse is actually what helped me blossom into a better leader. This is Edelyn. My name is Edelyn Garcia. I am currently the executive sous chef at the Village Pub in Woodside, California. Edelyn was my sous chef in my first fine dining job in the Bay Area. She's been in the industry for over 10 years and has worked her way up to executive sous chef. Right before my one-year mark, I got promoted to sous chef. He would always see me, uh, you know, go and buy certain tools or utensils to just make my station better. Kind of like really owning my station. At the time, we had lost one of our sous chefs. And it never really crossed my mind that I would be of debate to be promoted. One of the things that Chef Peter said to me was that he was like, you know, everybody in the kitchen respects you. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was just trying to do my thing, you know. and you know, work my way up the right way. So from there, I had to step up, like step up my game big. And, you know, I think there were times that I felt like I couldn't do it. <laughs> I think Chef Peter saw my determination and um, 
just like my strive to be better. What does it take to move your way up in a kitchen to gain the respect from your peers and get bumped up to management? Everyone I talk to says these things. You've got to prove you want it. Chefs and leaders on stations and we just really want to see kind of your hunger. This is Caitlin. My name is Caitlin. I'm currently an executive pastry chef. You need to show that you're working and you need to push and work hard. And that, I think, pushes you to different stations quicker if you're showing the initiative and you're working hard and you're doing well and you're flourishing on your stations as opposed to, well, I've worked on this station for three years. After a certain point, it actually kind of starts to look more negatively in in a sense that you've become kind of complacent with where you are and you're not standing out and showing like, hey, I'm here, I want this, and I'm going to do everything that I can to get it. The kitchen is one of those jobs where hard work and persistence is what gets you places. And it's one of the points of pride with the people who stay there for a long time. Just work hard and you get to the top. Which sounds easy enough, but as will come out in the next several episodes, it's not always as easy as that. Because there are these unspoken things that get in the way. The kitchen can be a very very political place. Here's Christopher again. It's not necessarily performance-driven, not at all times. The merit of your attitude and your day-to-day performance, that's how you should move up in a kitchen. Here's Mitch again. Granted, is that the way that you move up in a kitchen? No, that's not always that way. You know, even if even if that person sucks, as long as they kiss ass to get above, that happens. That happens all the time. And it, it drives me nuts. For a woman, gaining respect is hard when there are these unspoken rules to contend with in a system that is built on competition and hierarchy. You come into a kitchen and you're working hard and you're literally trying to do the exact same job that everyone else is. This is Caitlin again. And the fact that purely because of my anatomy, you tear me beneath you. There's already like a hierarchy and a tiering system in kitchens, you know? There's animosity already because it's such a competitive-based job that we do. And when you throw something petty into it, like gender, is just, it's shit. It's shit to me. You see a girl beside you and you're like, I, I have to perform higher. This is Fred. He's a chef de partie. Why? You know, whether it be because I don't want her to take my station because I realize she's better than me or whether it be like because she's really pretty and I want to impress her. You know, you see a dude come onto your station and you're like, you're looking at him and you're like, this guy's a lot better than me. You're definitely going to be just as scared that he's going to take your station. But maybe your pride and your, I guess pride is the best answer for that because you're going to just feel like it's a little bit more hurt because it's a female. I think that might actually be a reason why there might be less women in higher places and kitchens. This is Koji. Like full name? My name's Koji Yokoyama. I was a, well, I worked everything. I started at the bottom, so I was a stage and intern, and then I worked all the stations, and then sous chef. Men aren't as receptive to women. They won't give them the respect they deserve. Oh, well, you might be the chef's cuisine, but you're a woman. Like, I don't have to listen to you. Like, what, what it, what dick did she have to suck to become chef de cuisine? No, she's just a better cook than you. Why can't why can't you take her seriously? There are successful lady chefs. Absolutely. 
but there's this very specific idea of what it takes to make it in the industry, because that's what it's been for generations. I, I don't think anything was ever like a conscious effort. It was just like people playing to gender roles. Like forever, men were the ones that went out to work. And then when the you know restaurant industry really started to come out, women were just still seen as people that like stayed at home. And then men were the ones out there cooking. The brigade started that way, as an all-boys club. And the culture that came out of that has stayed pretty much the same. It wasn't until the mid-70s that women even started becoming recognized as professional chefs. I feel like a lot of the times when people are, you know, thinking about promoting uh, certain people into a managerial position, whether it be exec chef, you know, sous chef, whatever the case may be, I feel like a lot of the times they think that if a kitchen is male-dominated, that they may have some trouble taking orders from a female. This is Adeline again. You need to stand your ground, more so if you're a female. I feel like a lot of times you just got to show guys that I'm not going to fucking take your shit, so don't even try me. Do I feel like I've had to make myself more masculine in the kitchen? In a sense, yes. But I always have felt like I was a tomboy. That's just like, how I've always been like, I don't know, kind of rough. I think I've noticed for like early on that, quote unquote, I'm not like other girls, whatever the hell that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the next episode of Copper and Heat, we talk more about masculinity in the kitchen, what it means to not be like other girls, and what role femininity has in a world of fine dining. Be a Girl, the first season of Copper and Heat, is produced by me, Katie Osuna and Ricardo Osuna. A special thanks to Dan D'Amico and Kaya Fuller, who you heard in this episode. Also to Rachel Palmer and Clancy Magnuson for editing help. Check out our website, copperandheat.com, for more information about today's episodes, including more stuff about ladies in the kitchen and kitchen statistics. If you're somebody who's in the food industry or someone who is just fascinated by it, Send us your questions, ponderings, or stories at copperandheat.com or call 208-718-2719. We'd love to tell more stories. Don't forget to subscribe to us and leave us a review. It'll help us a lot. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your cats. We could use all the help spreading the word. Head on over to Twitter or Instagram and find us at Copper and Heat. All the music you hear is produced by us under the name Gamma Gardens. Check out other tracks on Instagram and SoundCloud. And finally, thanks to all of you for listening. <laughs>